When I was a young person, I always found it strange that people who were older in the Lord than me would talk about wanting to go be with Jesus. And I can remember thinking, I don't want to go be with Jesus. I've got too much that I want to live here on earth. And then as years go by and you live more of life, you start to recognize how great it's going to be in the presence of the Lord. And there will be no fragmented relationships between Christians. There will be no pain. There will be no death. There will be no illness. And while we will be active, and we won't be sitting on clouds with harps and, and little halos, but I really do believe there will be times when we, as believers of all time, gather and sing uh, and when we gather in celebration like this morning, it's just a little glimpse sometimes of what that's going to be like. And, and I just love that that last song. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Well, we are in a series here at Faith Bible Church this summer called Navigating Life. And we're looking at the question, how do I know what God's will is for my life. In the first two weeks of our series, we started with two premise statements, two very foundational truths upon which we're build, we are building the rest of our series. The first foundational truth was simply this, that in making decisions, in choosing how we are going to live our lives, it's imperative that we make decisions that are within the boundaries of God's revealed will. Uh, I like to think of it, we're in Iowa, I like to think of that as saying that we live our lives within the fences. And the fences are what God tells us in his word by way of command and biblical principle, especially as we find it in the New Testament scriptures, since we're New Testament believers. So if God says, this is what I'm calling you to do, then we live our lives within those fences. That's the, the first foundational principle that we talked about in navigating life. The second foundational principle that we talked about is the also an imperative. In fact, in Ephesians 5, the, God says this, the, the Apostle Paul writes, this is the will of God. So he's actually telling us, this is God's will for you, that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, assure us that every Christian... Every person who's come to a point where they've placed their faith in the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he's God, that he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Every person at the moment of faith, the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ, has the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, come in and take up residence in our life. And that's kind of mind-blowing, that's hard for us to grasp, but that's what the Spirit of God does. And while every Christian has the indwelling Spirit of God, not every Christian allows the Spirit of God to be in control. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Don't get drunk with wine, 
Don't allow alcohol to control you. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to be in control of your life. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul also says, and walk by the Spirit. And we talked about the fact that literally that verse could be translated, and be walking by the Spirit. Meaning, continually, moment by moment, day by day, allow the Spirit of God to be in control in our lives. And then we made this statement. If we are living our lives between the fences of God's revealed will, and if we're allowing the Spirit of God to be in control, we do not have to worry about missing God's will. We don't have to feel like we, oh no, I stepped outside of God's will. If we're living within the fences of his revealed will, and if we are allowing the Spirit of God to be in control moment by moment, day by day, we don't have to worry about stepping outside of his will. But there's still a question that we all face. Yes, but how do I make decisions? How do I navigate life? I'm, to the best of my ability, I'm trying to live within the fences. I, I'm trying to allow the Spirit of God to control, and, and when I clearly see that the deeds of the flesh are in my life, I'm, I'm praying and asking for forgiveness and cleansing, and I'm starting out again. But I still need to navigate life. How do we do that? So these next seven weeks, the, lot, the first two and then the, the section that we're in now, we are trying to drill down a little bit deeper, flesh this out of how do I actually navigate life. Two weeks ago, we talked about navigating life as a couple, as a husband and wife. And we talked about the fact that the decisions that we make need to be out, made out of oneness as husband and wife, and the decisions that we make need to promote oneness as husband and wife. Last week, we talked about the need for godly counsel, the need for each and every one of us to seek counsel from men and women who have lived maybe a little bit more life than we have, that have have some past experience in the area that we're trying to figure out, and who have a knowledge of God's Word that can give us a biblical perspective on the decision that we face. Well, today, we once again are moving to another aspect of this fundamental question, how do I navigate life? And we're going to do that by talking about a concept that we hear a lot about, and that is the concept of open and closed doors. Now, probably most of us in this room are familiar with the musical Sound of Music. I particularly don't like musicals. Several years ago, my wife Barbara asked me and my three sons, uh, "Would you, it's my birthday, would you guys watch The Phantom of the Opera with me? And so it's Barbara's birthday. So, okay, we'll agree, we'll watch it. And we were about two minutes into it, and it's all singing. It's like, you know, I was joking with her. I said, there's no words. It's all singing. It's like, will you bring me a box of Kleenex? I don't know if I will. I mean, it was just, it was grotesque. And and we're all just sitting there in absolute misery. 
And Barbara looked at us and said, you know, if you guys really aren't enjoying this, you can leave. And boom, we were out of there. I mean, we were out of there so fast, you can't believe how fast we were out of there. So, really not a big fan of musicals, but I really do like the sound of music. And there's a scene in the sound of music where Maria has just been told that she has to leave the convent where she resides and go be a governess for the family von Trapp. And she's, she's disheartened, she's discouraged, and she steps out into this courtyard and she makes this statement. When the Lord closes a door, somewhere he opens a window. Now, that's theology via Maria from The Sound of Music. And we do, as Christians, we talk a lot about open doors and closed doors. But I want us to look at that maybe outside of the realm of the sound of music and look at it from a biblical perspective from the New Testament. Because the New Testament does talk about open doors. The New Testament uses that phrase open door, open doors in terms of us navigating life. So it is a biblical concept. But it has a very different connotation to it than what Maria used in The Sound of Music. Because when the New Testament talks about open doors, it's specifically always talking about the gospel. The good news of Jesus. That Jesus is God. That he loved us so much that he came to earth and lived a sinless life here on earth. So that he could die for you and for me. And then rose again from the dead. Proving that he is God. That message of good news. And as we're going to see this morning in several passages of scripture. When the New Testament talks about an open door. It's always talking about the possibility of advancing the gospel. About opportunities to talk with people about Jesus. Now, there's a problem. And it's a problem that I struggle with, and maybe you do too. Sometimes we get so concerned about navigating life and trying to figure out what's next. What does the Lord have for me next? What does he have for me? What What is his will for me? that we lose sight of the places in the New Testament where he's already told us what his will is for us. And sometimes we are so intent on getting to the goal, getting to the destination, that we forget about what he's asked us to do on the journey. I'm a destination guy. It's like... You know what? We're going to get there. We may be miserable as we get there, but when we get there, then we'll relax. But we've got to get to the goal. We've got to get to the end. At all costs, we're going to get there. Let's land the plane. Let's get there. But it's easy to lose sight 
of the trip, of the pathway. Two weeks ago, our pastors and pastoral staff and our wives here at Faith Bible Church went on a retreat together. We rented a house in Alma, Wisconsin. Never heard of it before, but the house was cheap. And so we rented this house that overlooked the Mississippi River. It was a beautiful place. And the owner of the house had built a scenic outlook over the Mississippi, and you could sit up on this wooden platform high on a bluff and just look out onto the river. He said, you got to go see it. We said, oh, let's do it. So he gave me directions. You go a mile north of town, then you're going to come to like a park. You're going to turn east, go a quarter of a mile, look for the little blue number by the road and take the road up. Sounds simple. Now remember, I'm a destination kind of guy. So I focus in on those directions, okay? So I'm watching my odometer because, you know, I realize the guy maybe said a mile north of town, but who knows if he's right or not. So I'm watching, watching, watching. Sure enough, a mile north of town, there's a road going east, I turn east. I go about a quarter of a mile and I'm intently looking for this road and a little uh, marker to show me the address. And we miss it. And I'm really intent now. It's okay. He said a quarter of a mile. We look and we found what he was talking about. I would call it more a deer path than a road. But we found it. Now, in my quest to find the goal, the end goal, the destination, I couldn't tell you anything about what we drove past on the journey. And what we're going to see here and several passages of scripture is actually a call for a paradigm shift in our lives. It's actually recognizing that part of God's will has to do with everyday, our everyday lives. And it's not always just a quest for the big. Sometimes God has a will for us in the mundane, just in the everyday course of our life. And so we're going to see that will talked about in reference to open doors. To start looking at this, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to come to Acts chapter 14. And in Acts 14, we are coming to the end of the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. Remember, he took three. And this first one, he was traveling with his uh, co-partner in ministry, Barnabas. And they're traveling around, talking with people about Jesus. They travel over 700 miles by foot, 500 miles by sea. And in this one to two year period of time, Paul and Barnabas now are at the end of this journey and they're coming back to their home sending church, to their sending church, and they give this report in verse 27. Acts 14, verse 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them, how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. 
He opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. There is access to God to the Gentiles. There's, there is an advance of the gospel that's happened. Now, this is earth shattering. This would have come as a shock to all those who heard Paul's report. And here's why. All through the Old Testament, if a person wanted to be right with God, they had to come through Israel. In order for you to be right with God, you had to believe in Israel's God, and you had to put yourself underneath Israel's law. You, in a sense, had to become an Israelite. Now, you could never become an Israelite by nationality or by birth. But as the New Testament called these people, they were called God-fearers. They are Gentiles who came into right relationship with God, but through Israel. But all of a sudden... We find after Jesus has come and died on the cross and rose from the dead that there's this new mystery that's been unleashed. That there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. There's this new thing called the church. And Gentiles have equal access into relationship with God just like Jews did. And Paul comes back and he says, listen to this. A door of faith has been opened to the Gentiles. Gentiles have access to God. This good news about Jesus Christ is available to Gentiles. Open doors. An opportunity to advance the gospel. Now, keeping that passage in mind, we're going to quickly turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. We're not going to take time to fully develop this passage this morning, but in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, we're in that section of the message to the seven churches, and here we have the Lord's message to the church in Philadelphia. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who is the key of David, he who, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have, not, and have not denied my name. I think the NASB translates that verse in a, a little bit difficult way. I think what the deeds are that the Lord knows about the church in Philadelphia are listed here. That they have, that they're little, that they're looked down on by other people. But yet they're despised. But they've kept his word. They've not denied his name. Therefore, the Lord tells them, there's an open door before you. And as we look at the whole tenor, the whole teaching of the book of Revelation, most likely that open door that he's talking about is the open door to the New Jerusalem. We refer to it as heaven. It's the same open door that we see all the way through the New Testament. It's an access to God. It's an access, it's an availability for advancement of the gospel. So from the beginning of the New Testament to the end of the New Testament, 
we see the New Testament writers view open doors as opportunities to advance the gospel. But for us, for me, this probably calls for a paradigm shift. Probably calls us to view everyday life a little differently. Remember, I'm kind of a destination guy, not an enjoy the journey guy. And uh, it's so easy for me to be thinking the big picture and to be thinking about plans and goals and not to view the journey to that goal, to that plan, is part of God's will for me. Case in point. Kind of convicting. Several years ago, we started as a family hiring an exterminator service to come to our home. Why? Because my wife hates bugs. I mean, she hates bugs. She sees an ant and she goes into attack mode. She does not like bugs. And we live in the county, so we've got 80 acres of timber directly to the south of us and a couple hundred acres of timber right across the road from us. There's lots of critters. I mean lots of critters. And so after hearing mild screams and squeals and face contortions from Barbara, I thought, you know, let's just have an exterminator come. We used to do that when we lived in Texas. Let's do it here. So once every two or three months from the spring, summer, and fall, an exterminator comes. First guy comes. He's talkative. Now, uh, I wasn't expecting that. I was just expecting the exterminator to come and spray and leave. But he wants to chat. And I'm feeling inside like, why are you wanting to talk with me? You should just get everything sprayed and go because I've got things I've got to accomplish. I've got things I've got to do. I've got places I have to go and and I don't really have time to talk and so he retires. I'm thinking, okay, we're getting another guy. I've got to believe that he's going to be kind of quiet and not want to chat because I was dreading these appointments. We get to the next guy. He's more talkative than the first guy. He really wants to chat. He just wants to talk about life. And, and, and it just seems like spraying for the bugs was peripheral to him. It just, it, it didn't seem like it was really high on his priority list. And then he retires. I'm thinking, hey, I'm golden. And the new guy I see him get out of his pickup, he's like 30 years old. I'm thinking, this guy's not gonna say a word. This is great. I can open up the house, he'll come in, he'll do his work, he'll leave, we'll be great. He comes to the door. I open the door. Hi, my name is so-and-so. And he says, are you doing a summer vacation this summer? We're going, we're, my wife and I are going to Mexico and we're really excited about it. And I'm just wondering, are you going? I mean, this, I haven't even met the guy. I'm wondering what you're doing for vacation this summer. He's the most talkative of all three. And I'm sitting here thinking... Dude, I've got places to be. I've got people to see. And you're talking to me. And what's really convicting is I've really tried to make a commitment in my life to several times throughout the week. I've been praying, Lord, please open a door for me to talk with people about Jesus. Because it's hard for a preacher 
Because as soon as people find out you're a preacher, they go into this church mode. It's like, oh, I went to church once. And you hear about all the church stories. They maybe break out a church joke or something. So it's just hard to have normal relationships. And so I've been praying, God, help me to have someone that would just like to talk with me that I could have some gospel conversations. And then I go home, but I'm in destination mode. And here I've got a guy who wants to talk with me. And I'm thinking, dude, why are you talking to me? You see... It calls for a paradigm shift, doesn't it? And sometimes we're so concerned about the big picture that we forget that God's been pretty clear with us about His will. And what we're looking at today is part of God's will for you and for me is to look for open doors to talk with people about Jesus. But for some of us, me included, that calls for a paradigm shift. Now, these are not the only places in the New Testament that talk about open doors. And I want to encourage you to come over to the book of 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or first of all, we will start out in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we find the apostle Paul describing open doors, and we're going to see it in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the fact that there's an open door for the gospel, but with it often comes adversaries. Now, when we think about an adversary, we think, oh man, I've overstepped my bounds, I better back off. But the Apostle Paul seems like He almost sees an adversary as an affirmation of an open door. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 8. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul doesn't seem faced by this at all. He said, there's a wide open door for me to talk with people about Jesus, and there's lots of adversaries. It's almost like the Apostle Paul is seeing the adversaries as an affirmation that this is an open door. It's hard to totally be adamant about which period or which time in Ephesus this would be. Uh, according to the book of Acts, but we do know from Acts chapter 19 that when Paul was in Ephesus, as that chapter records it, that Paul had effective ministry, but he also had adversaries. So sometimes we will face an adversary from the external. We had a, a parent call our house one day when we still had children at home. And one of our sons had talked with this lady's son on the playground about Jesus. And the lady calls up and says, I just need to tell you, we don't want your child talking to our child about Jesus. If we want our child to hear about Jesus, we'll tell it. You know, sometimes there's some pushback that we'll face. There's some pushback that we'll find when we have open doors. But just because there's pushback doesn't mean that there is not an open door. Maybe the pushback is affirming that there's an open door. Sometimes the pushback comes internally. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 
Second Corinthians chapter 2, we find in verse 12, the Apostle Paul going to this Roman colony in Troas. Really important city. And it tells us, I came to Troas, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ. And when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Oh, how discouraging that must have been for the Apostle Paul. Here, he clearly saw an open door for him to talk with people about Jesus. But he was so worked up inside because when he got to Troas, Titus wasn't there. He was supposed to meet Titus there. Titus was going to give him a report about the church in Corinth, but he's not there. What's happened to Titus? Has he, has he been robbed, carrying the offering to Jerusalem? What's going on with Titus? I'm so worried I can't even think straight. I better go find Titus, even though there's an open door here for ministry. An open door to talk with people about Jesus. And we know from chapter 4, verses 8 and following, sometimes Paul got discouraged and said, we're perplexed, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So Paul probably was disheartened because he met an adversary, but this time it was internal. Whether it's external or internal, Open doors for the gospel often come with adversaries. A couple weeks ago, I was driving with Barbara, just here in Cedar Rapids. And I pulled into the left turn lane. And uh, about a second after I pulled into the left turn lane, somebody came up in the lane next to me, driving through the light, and honked at me. And that, I, Barbara, why is that guy, why did he honk at me? I didn't do anything to that guy. Why is that guy honking at me? And, and Barbara said, well, uh, maybe the guy knew you. And I said, that wasn't a hello kind of honk. <laughs> uh, no, that guy was angry at me. What did I do to that guy? Why would he honk at me? Like 10 minutes later, I'm still thinking about this. And it's like 10 minutes later, I said, Barbara, why do you think the guy honked at me? And she's like, you're still thinking about the guy? I said, yeah, why did that guy honk at me? Now, you know, when I was in India for a month, I'm convinced in India, when you take driver's education, they teach you to keep one hand on the steering wheel and one hand on the horn. Because it's continual honking. They honk when there's nobody to even honk at. It's just part of driving. And for the Apostle Paul... He's expecting honking. When he is talking to people about Jesus, he's expecting honking. In fact, he says, hey, this is a wide door for effective service, and there's lots of adversaries. But what do we do? What do I do? I get just a little bit of negativity, and it's like, oh, man, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm going to back off here. I'm really, really sorry. Sorry I offended you. You know, just a little bit of honking. But the point that we see here in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is that just because they're adversaries does not mean that we don't have an open door before us. So we see from the beginning of the New Testament to the end of the New Testament, open doors, opportunities for the gospel, to advance the gospel, to talk with people about Jesus. 
What do we do with that? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us see the answer to that question in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, he actually gives us a charge to start praying for open doors. Look with me at Colossians chapter 4, starting to read in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. A couple of few years ago, one of our commissioned missionaries, John North, was with us. John gave a fantastic message on on how we should be praying in our daily lives for people who don't know Jesus. And he shared with us a three-part prayer. It was so fantastic. We On our prayer uh, mural that we have in our prayer room in the back, we wrote these three points down in the bottom right-hand corner that we need, first of all, to pray for open doors. Colossians 4.3. As the Apostle Paul put it, Pray for us to have an open door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ and we can make it clear. Lord, give me an open door that I can talk with people about Jesus. Then John shared with us that we should pray for open hearts on the part of the people with whom we talk. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 1. And then he encouraged us to pray and open my mouth, Ephesians 6 19, that I will take opportunity as it comes and actually share about Jesus when I ha- when I see that open door to pray for an open door for the gospel my youngest son works at a whole foods grocery store and he loves it and he has a lot of regulars that come through his checkout line and so he started to try to remember people's names and he keeps on his phone it's hilarious. He sent me a page of it. He, he puts little descriptions of people. Like he has this one guy next to his name that says, family dude. Not quite sure what that means. I think it must mean he has like 12 kids. I don't know. He has another guy that has like Bengals hat. I mean, he just, he, he describes people the way they come and that's how he remembers their name. He had a lady come through last week and she was a regular. And he greeted her and was checking out her groceries and there was a line of people behind her and she looks to him and said, Shane, why are you happy all the time? And he looked at her and said, I have a relationship with God. That's all he was able to say. It wasn't the time to go through a, a, a full explanation of the gospel. But it was just a little open door. I'm not sure if I would have walked through it, but he had the opportunity. He walked through it. And now... This lady knows at least there's this kid at Whole Foods that thinks it's possible to have a relationship with God. You see, so often, at least in my life, I'm so intent on the big picture and trying to figure out what's down the road that we forget in just the everyday, in the mundane, we actually have a charge to fulfill God's will for us today. And one of those charges that he's given to us is to look for open doors. 
to pray for open doors, just opportunities to have gospel-centered conversations, opportunities just to talk with people about Jesus. In navigating life, we need to seek open doors to talk to people about Jesus. Hey, if you're here today, and maybe as we took communion this morning, you didn't quite grasp what that was all about, or you're not sure if you're in right relationship with God or not, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders, will be back in that prayer room directly behind you. And you can just go back there and say, hey, Pastor Steve mentioned there's some books back here that that is like a little Bible study that I can look up verses that show me how I can be right with God. Just ask for that. They'll give that to you. Or maybe you're here and you just want someone to pray with this morning. One of our elders will be back in the prayer room. I encourage you to go back and spend some time this morning in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this glimpse into the New Testament of how the New Testament writers viewed open doors as opportunities to talk with people about Jesus. We pray and ask that you would give us eyes to see people as you see them, that you would give us your heart for people, and that we would recognize that you have a will for us in the mundane of everyday life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.